It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, December 6, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Alaska Department of Health and Social Services is cutting back its daily coronavirus reporting. When the Sitka Unified Command met on Wednesday, the city's public and government affairs director, Melissa Henshaw, said that the state will only report new COVID data on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays beginning this week. So they say that the change is being made for sustainability of staff and also because weekly data is more helpful for understanding trends. While Sitka's case rate has been shifting between high and substantial for the last few weeks, weekly cases have plateaued at a much lower level than when numbers were peaking in July and August. The state is scaling back its coronavirus reporting just as a new variant of concern is on the horizon. Much is still unknown about the Omicron variant, and city officials did not discuss it during the public portion of the meeting. The United States reported its first Omicron cases this week in California and New York, but so far no cases have been reported in Alaska. Sitka Tribe of Alaska has been recognized by Harvard University for its seafood testing facility and its hand in preserving its traditional harvest of shellfish in Southeast. KCAW's Tosh Kimmel reports. There's a saying in the Tlingit tradition that goes, when the tide is out, the table is set. For millennia, Native Alaskans have relied on the bounty of the sea to sustain their way of life. But what happens when those same traditional foods are potentially deadly? If you're in Southeast, you turn to the Sitka Tribe of Alaska's Environmental Research Lab. To learn more about this vital and now award-winning lab, I caught up with Sitka Tribe's Resource Protection Director, Jeff Feldpash. He says the state tests commercial shellfish for PSP toxins. Um, But they don't do any public testing or certifying any beaches. Um, So they haven't done any certification, and basically the response to the public was, just don't eat shellfish, Um, you might get PSP. He says the state's official message is just don't eat the clams and mussels on the beach. And we just figured, you know, that's uh, that's not acceptable. Um, response. So we uh, we started down this road with, uh, I think we started off with 15 other tribes in Southeast as far as looking at ways to address safe access to shellfish resources. PSP, or paralytic shellfish poisoning, is caused by toxic algae blooms called red tide. Filter-feeding shellfish like clams and mussels store the algae's biotoxin in their tissues, which when ingested can prove fatal. While PSP has always existed in Southeast, climate change has made it more frequent and harder to predict without testing. You know, a lot of the old harvesters used to say, you only harvest shellfish in a month with R in it. And uh, we're starting to find out that that's not necessarily the case right now. It's been around for a long time. It's just with climate change, we're seeing a higher frequency of uh, PSP or biotoxin levels that can cause death. It was spring of 2016 when the Sitka Tribe of Alaska took a risk and opened its research lab, the first of its kind in Southeast. In November, it was honored by the Harvard Honoring Nations Program in the 2021 Awards in American Indian Governance, an accolade nearly six years in the making. I think there was like 70 applicants um, from 20, I think 27 different tribes. 70 different programs that applied, and uh, we were one of the top six. It's not the first time the tribe has been acknowledged by the Honoring Nations program, but it's not about the awards. As Feldpash explains, tribal sovereignty is at the heart of the lab's mission. 
unfortunately, statehood and um, um, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act separated tribes and its tribal citizens from uh, you know, the land and the resources to where the point that uh, tribes really don't have much more input or much more leverage on how those resources are managed uh, than any other entity or individual. It allows tribes to, to take some control over uh, management of its resources and exert their sovereignty. Currently, the lab tests samples from 17 communities in southeast, as well as tribes on Kodiak Island. But for those who use the lab services, it's about more than just subsistence. Yakutat Clinket Tribe's environmental director, Jennifer Hanlon, says the initiative is part of a greater struggle for cultural preservation. Yeah, this data is really important to inform harvesters of the current levels if there's any concern related to when and where to harvest shellfish because that is such an important subsistence food for us that nourishes our people and our communities on so many levels, not just nutritional, but also fostering that relationship to our ancestral lands and waters. Today, the Tribe Shellfish Testing Program continues to expand, bringing that vision of tribal sovereignty even more clearly into focus. So we're expanding our testing range. Um, We're also testing um, subsistence resources uh, for total mercury. Beyond that, outside of the lab, we've actually grown uh, to uh, training tribal citizens or or, uh, other tribes to do biomass surveys, shellfish biomass surveys. STA offers free shellfish testing for Sitka residents and is continually monitoring Starry Gavin Beach with new data every two weeks year-round. For more information on the lab and their services, you can visit their website at seator.org. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Tosh Kimmel. While the nation is focusing on the emergence of the Omicron variant of COVID-19, Delta variant is still responsible for a widespread outbreak in the remote island town of Petersburg. More than 7% of the town's 3,000 residents got infected in November alone. On the front lines of this outbreak is a team of home health nurses going door-to-door treating patients. KFSK's Angela Denning has their story. This is our COVID section right here. Nurse Kirsten Testoni is sorting through medical equipment inside the home health supply room. Metal shelves stacked with supplies take up one of the walls. Hey, Yvonne. Yeah. Do you have um, any more of those batteries? You're like out of pulse oxes. Yes, ma'am. Pulse ox is short for pulse oximeter. Those little clamps that go on your finger and measure your blood oxygen levels. They're in high demand right now in Petersburg. You come in with sort of a plan, but but your day your day goes from zero to sixty. Testoni manages a team of eight. Three years ago, there were only two home care nurses in this office. The additional staff has come from other departments, ERs, clinics, long-term care. Lena Odegaard had worked in all of them. She says she likes home health because she can focus on one patient at a time. But it's also challenging. There's just so many elements you can't control, whereas when you're in the facility, you can kind of restrict visitors and what people are doing to a point. Sometimes there are patients who should go to the hospital, but they don't want to. We find that quite often in home health, especially during this pandemic. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, a resistance. Many times the nurses will transport patients to the hospital themselves, or they can call an ambulance. 
Stephanie Remind says home health is different than her many years working in the hospital. You never know. Um, you can walk in and find someone on the floor or, you know, you really don't know what you're walking into a lot of times. Many hospitals have home health departments, but it's different in a rural town like Petersburg, says Jared Cosen. He heads the Alaska State Hospital and Nursing Home Association. You're going to have almost, in, in some respects, a more nimble healthcare system because everybody knows everyone. And when we're in a crisis like this, can we meet this problem head on before it becomes a bigger problem and, and requires hospitalization? During this latest Delta surge in Alaska, it's been crucial to keep people out of the hospital, not just Petersburg's local clinics, but also keeping people from getting medevaced to the bigger hospitals in Anchorage. Plus, it's a more personal way to receive care. This team in Petersburg is planning on keeping up this level of home health care, even when they're no longer caring for COVID patients. Testoni is in her car gearing up to visit a small house where three people are infected with COVID. She puts on two face masks, goggles, a hairnet, a gown, and blue rubber gloves. All right. You ready? Yes. Let's do it. Natasha Lyons answers the door. She's 43. She's in a black sweatshirt, her blonde hair pulled back. Sorry, my house is not clean. Oh. Week. <laughs> I don't have any energy. In the last week, she's been to the ER twice. I was so bad and so weak, I couldn't even get up to go pee at one point. I had to have help from my son. Home health drove her back and forth to the hospital. She received oxygen, IV fluids, monoclonal antibody treatment, and steroids. If it wasn't for the home health people, I wouldn't have made it because I was too weak to drive myself. I was too weak to even walk. I was too weak to do anything. It's been very scary for me. Testoni checks out her oxygen levels. Oh, it's, it was 98. That's Ooh. the best it's been since forever. <clears throat> the lowest I went, I think, was 84. Yeah, that's pretty low. Like many Petersburg residents this team has been caring for this month, Lyons is not vaccinated. And she hasn't changed her mind even after two trips to the ER. But Testoni never pushes the issue. You know, that's not our role. We don't do that. I mean, we are going to take care of people regardless of what their choices are. Walking back to the car, Testoni says her job isn't to convince patients of anything. It's to meet them where they are. And so far, that's been enough to keep them alive. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.